Hello, I'm Chris Kreitcho, and this is Neurostation, a show about the Rust programming language and the people who use it. This is an interview with Anna Liao, one of the participants in the Increasing Rust's Reach program. Welcome to the show, Anna. Hi. It is great to have you here. Thanks for talking with us today. I say us, you know, me, the audience, whatever. I can't interview clearly today. It's been one of those days. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your background with programming before you started the Increasing Rust Reach program? Yeah, so I majored in electrical engineering and computer sciences. Uh, so I had okay. taken the fundamental CS courses, but then kind of my education and my career, I went towards sensors and electronics more. So I wasn't programming for a while. Mm. But then my last job for five years, I uh, was doing Python programming to build research prototypes at um, this Department of Energy lab. So it was primarily Python, and um, it was mostly using a lot of open source libraries. Okay. That sounds really interesting. What got you interested in Rust then? Oh, right. So um, for one of the projects I was working on, uh, they updated a component. Well, one of the libraries I was importing in this project, uh, they updated the a component with Go. Um, and it dramatically improved the performance. So that kind of got mm -hmm. me thinking again about, cause I had kind of done C in like university, but I had never really worked with the systems programming language. So, um, and then I've been hearing a lot about Go and Rust. So I started looking into Go and Rust. So yeah. And then kind of this was lot, uh, just beginning of the summer. And then I think that's about when they announced the increasing Rust's reach program. Mm -hmm. How did you hear about it? Um, yeah, I I had just started looking at all the Rust websites. Um, there's kind of, you know, a lot of different places. Like, you know, there's the users.rustline and also a few different places. And I think I also subscribed to This Week in Rust. And so I think I heard it either on social media or, and also like, you know, through this <laughs> newsletter and then also maybe on users, the user forum. Gotcha. That makes good sense. I love This Week in Rust, and I love all the different channels that exist to get that kind of information. Uh -huh. So you heard about the Increasing Rust's Reach program. You were learning, looking at alternatives. You were looking at alternatives to Python in the sort of compiled space. What made you want to apply to Increasing Rust's Reach specifically? Was it just interest in Rust? Was it interest in the specific goals of that program? Some of both? Uh, yeah, so I, while, so I had kind of read about Go and then I was like, okay, now what do I do with this? Right. Cause I kind of, um, <laughs> wasn't sure like, you know, of a project, I mean, I could, you know, try to come up with a project, but then I decided to just start kind of look at Rust and see how it compares. Um, and it just so happens when I was starting to read the book, they announced this program. I was like, oh, okay, well, that'd be a great way to like work on a project while learning. Yeah. Um, you know, that's like the best way to learn language, especially since it's, it's an intimidating language. I've talked to other mm -hmm. people in, especially like at PyCons, um, the, uh, Python conference, mm -hmm. and they've mentioned to me that it's a tough language to learn. So I thought, well, you know, if I'm part of this program, then at least I'll stick with it for a while. So, <laughs> yeah. So like, that's kind of the motivation. And also I thought, yeah, and I, I, um, 
could definitely feel how, how it's welcoming and friendly and, and trying to be, you know, and, and also like working on being inclusive. So, um, yeah, so it's just kind of all of those factors combined um, made me really interested in being part of the program. You mentioned the reputation for Rust being difficult to approach or hard to learn. How has that been for you? Have you found it difficult to approach or hard to learn? Yeah, so I guess it helped that I uh, had been work using Python for a while, um, mm-hmm. even though I, Python is an easier language. I would, you know, it's like <laughs> kind of like that's a first good um, beginner language. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have some fundamentals. So I had, you know, I was a bit rusty <laughs> with like Saxony. <laughs> the inevitable pun. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of, you know, each time that came up about like memory, I was like, oh, okay. Well, I think I kind of worked with that at some point. Yeah. Um, so I kind of knew where to look um, in terms of the concepts. I just had to kind of read up about it. So I think that helped. But yeah, definitely it's really slow going. When I was trying to write even just the simplest thing, I had to look up the syntax and then. And then I, I didn't understand the compiler. Like, what does that even mean? You know, because I um, hadn't hadn't read the whole book. You know, if I had read everything thoroughly and also had done some exercises, I think I would know it better. Well, now I know it better now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely I can see how it's 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 hard. Yeah, definitely. Um, it helps to have you know have known have uh, learned a higher level language first, and then also know some computer science fundamentals. You know, to to yeah, you know, that would help a lot, I think. That makes a lot of sense. What did you actually work on in the Increasing Rust's Reach program? Would love to hear about your project. Right. So, um, hmm. so previously for work, what I did a lot was I set up these BeagleBone blots um, connected to sensors. Uh, so it's like a sensor collection node, you know, with sending streaming data back to our local server. Hmm. So I thought that would be neat to kind of still, you know, try to work on something that has to do with these small embedded computers. And I happen to have a Raspberry Pi and a Sense Hat out on board uh, within. And the Sense Hat it has a bunch of little sensors, including an LED matrix. So I just decided, oh, okay, well they have actually have a Python API for the Sense Hat, um, and so I would just take one of these uh, functions and try to translate it to Rust. So that's what I worked on was writing out to the LED matrix. People do really cool things on Raspberry Pis, and I keep meaning to someday get to play with one, but I've never gotten there yet. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's actually, um, yeah, I've started uh, writing some blog posts about uh, my project just because I um, had also just... I don't know. On a lark, I decided to propose to Pi Cascades on this project, and then I got oh, nice. it, it's accepted. So then I'm giving a talk. So now I, I like trying to like put together content, um, you know. So it's which is also good for the talk. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of pretty nervous about it, but I think it's also <laughs> good for me because um, kind of gets me to focus, uh, you know, just kind of think about it in a very focused way, and also to try to share my experience with you know, some people in the Python community. Yeah. Is that your first conference talk or have you done it before? I've given a couple um, conference talks before because uh, I worked, I kind of supported, uh, or I worked in like a research academia setting okay. uh, for a long time. So 
I have given a couple, um, but it's, I'm still like not, you know, I don't do a lot of talks, so I'm still getting very nervous about it. <laughs> yes, I totally understand. I've been speaking publicly for long enough that I'm kind of mostly over the the fear of it, but I gave a talk at Rust Belt Rust a couple weeks ago, and even though I felt really comfortable with my material and I was not consciously nervous at all, I was sitting there with nerves going, I was like, come on, all of which is to say I understand it. It doesn't even matter, I think, how often you've done it. Sometimes you just still get nerves. When is Pi Cascades? Oh, it's, uh, um, let's see, I think it's third week of January. Okay. Uh, like somewhere around the January 20th. It's in Vancouver. That sounds wintry. Uh, yeah. Well, I live in Calgary right now. It's, uh, okay. Like mine, well, let's see, earlier today it was minus 16 Celsius. Uh, I think it's warmer in Vancouver. So. <laughs> Just a little cold. <laughs> so as you were going through working with SenseHad and all of that, what was the, we'll start on the bad side. What was the worst or the hardest part of working with Rust in this? Um, there, let's see. Yeah, it's just mainly like knowing a lot of, um, you know, the different types, you know, so for, you know, cause, uh, oh gosh, this is starting to get into, um, some of the, CS specific terminology that I'm probably gonna not get right, but but like you know like um, in Python you know you don't have to worry as much about types and then in Rust mm -hmm. you do. There's like stack allocated types and heap allocated types, mm -hmm. um, and definitely like you know like I was like error handling like you know how do I do error because you know I know how to do error <laughs> handling in Python but I don't know like you know I didn't know how it worked and then there's all these. And then sometimes when I was looking up examples, um, they're outdated. I felt like because the language is evolving and then yeah. there's not a ton online. So, uh, yeah, and error handling, file handling, a lot of things. So it was a lot of times I would type a little bit and be like really stuck and then I don't understand the compiler error. try to search on it and then I'll use an example, but it doesn't quite work the way I thought it would. So, mm -hmm. and a lot of times it just came down to like, I would ask my mentor, Andrew Gallant, uh, and then he'll tell me, oh, you just, just, this is how you would write it. And I was like, what? I would, you know, like, I wouldn't have figured <laughs> that out just by searching or, you know, so it's kind of, um, yeah, and I think the language is still evolving and, and yeah, it could be really hard for someone new um, to kind yeah. of figure out like, how exactly do I, you know, try to write, you know, this kind of uh, functionality into my program. So absolutely. So listeners may, may or may not know Andrew Gallant is burnt sushi on the various places he has internet handles. So there's a very good chance you've used or interacted with some of his libraries. I'll link to some of those, including in particular Ripcrep. So lots of interesting stuff he's been up to. What was the best part about working with Russ throughout this program? Um, yeah, I would just say I learned a lot about Rust. And I also learned that the Rust community is great. Um, mm. You know, it's really welcoming and friendly. And then I also discovered that there's a lot more I want to learn about Rust because actually Rust is um, kind of the main features of Rust is concurrency, which I didn't really you know do mm -hmm. anything with that. Um, and I also want to look more into like... Um, interfacing Rust to Python. So if I wanted to call Rust from Python, and if I, let's say if I have Python code and I just want to optimize a certain component mm -hmm. in Rust, like how would I do that? I've, I've started noticing there's starting to be more posts and talks about Python and 
Rust or calling Rust from Python. Um, I don't know if there might be also calling Python from Rust. So mm-hmm. maybe I'm not sure. Um, anyways, so yeah, they just there's actually like just from this, like I want to learn more about it. Um, uh, and then also le- in terms of using Rust, um, I felt like I learned more about you know kind of get back to the CS fundamentals. You know, you kind of learn more just mm-hmm. about computer science and you know what's going on at the low level uh, things that you might not think about for high level languages. I would say that's the best things. That's neat to hear. And I'm excited to see in particular where some of those, whether it's Python or Node or Ruby or any of these kinds of bridges between Rust and higher level languages go, because it's really powerful to be able to drop down into Rust. And it's really nice if you can drop down into a safe language that's really fast rather than into C. (laughs) And I've written C Python extensions in the past, and it's always a little iffy. If they're real complicated in any way, it becomes very iffy. So mm-hmm, being, mm-hmm. Able to, being able to do that in Rust will be great. Yeah. So have you felt like uh, Rust could be a direct replacement for C? I haven't done anything with C Python, so I'm not exactly sure how it fits. <laughs> yeah. When you've got when you've got C extensions, you could write them as Rust extensions instead. It's not as smooth or easy as we would want it to be yet. Mm, And mm -hmm. there's a lot of work to make kind of writing all those bridging bits easier. So if you're doing something really, really simple and you just have, you know, a function that you need to call 57,000 times, you can do that in Rust and it's, it's really pretty easy as long as the types are relatively simple. But as you start needing to bridge like Python objects into Rust structs or things like that, it starts to become a lot harder. And I think that's where a lot of the work is to be done, but it would be amazing to see a lot more of that to make it easy because, well, I would just rather write Rust than C. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, yeah, great. I'm going to like, that's kind of what I'm hoping to look more into because I haven't really, um, you know, had a chance to look at how those bridges are going. And also like, that's also evolving too, right? I think there's Mm -hmm. always new things going on there. So, so yeah, kind of look into that more. Were there other things that you learned as part of the program, maybe the things that sort of were the biggest light bulbs for you, whether about Rust specifically or about some of those CS fundamentals you mentioned? Well, let's see. Uh, some of the things that I had to look into specifically for my project were um, kind of understanding a bunch of different types, mm-hmm. um, you know, the stack versus heap allocated types, uh, and also options and results. So having to use that and then um, the question mark shorthand. So I got to (laughs) use that (laughs) and I understood that. And that kind of, see, and then file handling, error handling, um, and then bit manipulation. Um, Actually, what I learned is actually a lot of um, how it's written in Python could just be written directly in Rust for the most part with bit manipulation. Hmm. So that's good to know. Yes. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's just kind of thinking, oh yeah, of course thinking about borrowing and references, mm-hmm. right? So there's all these times where I didn't understand the compiler error, so I'll try to add uh some more ampersands <laughs> MUTs, you know. Like like it's kinda of like you look at the compiler error, don't quite understand what it is, but I think I have an inkling maybe what it's telling me. But I still yeah. don't quite understand. But then I try adding it and it's like it compiles. And then I'm like, um, I 
well, yeah. So I'm not, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out like if it's does like, you know, just adding those MUT and, uh, keywords and, um, ampersands, if, if that's, you know, sufficient to get it to run properly or if it's still mm-hmm. actually still, you know, running the way that I wanted it to. So I'm still like figuring that out, I think. Um, but there are a few times where I think I understand the whole concepts and then I was like, Oh, that's strange. That, that should work, you know? And then, so, so still, still figuring that out. <laughs> Absolutely. I've, I had that experience a few times myself where I just stare at a piece of code and think, what do you mean? This isn't a valid borrow here. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's really neat that the compiler is very careful, right? Like, you know, to kind of make sure you're writing safe code or proper code. So um, it's kind of it's kind of like a tutor built in tutor too, in a way. <laughs> yeah, that's a good description. Were there any things that didn't go well in the increasing Rust's reach program so that, you know, we can do better next time if we do this again? Right. So I I thought about this and I think that uh, I kind of wished I had done more um, like Rust exercises. Are you familiar? So Mm -hmm. in RustBridge, they actually go over exorcism.io exercises. Mm -hmm. And... I think that would be that would have been better for me to have read the book while doing exorcism exercises and have done a few of them um, before starting the program because mm. I felt like I didn't really I felt like I was asking and like my mentor Andrew just a lot of basic questions that if I had done those exercises then I would have been able to you know get past that faster and then been able to ask him kind of more advanced questions that I could get help on. Um, so, so yeah, so it was like a lot of these basic questions that, yeah. So I think that might help for the next round, um, just to ask applicants, like maybe have a period. I was thinking like have a period of time, um, before the applications are due where they, they were asked to do a few of the exorcism exercises and then maybe even have a channel, to help them because if some support yeah. you know, they would um you know they might you know i don't it's like i wouldn't want like interested applicants to give up just because they can't do some of the exercises and mm-hmm. i actually had told carol that i would be happy to help moderate or like to help you know kind of you know sit in on this channel and help because now i know a little bit more about Russ than i did at the beginning so so yeah so i think that would be really great to have um yeah do that and then that just help that, you know, the people in the program, I don't know for others, because maybe some of the other people in the program maybe had, had no new rust more already. But for me, like, I think I could have been uh, a little bit more prepared for the program. Mm-hmm. Started. Um, and then, yeah. And I just think I really appreciated being selected for a program. And I also think there are probably a lot of other people that weren't selected that would like to participate. So I offered to help with future iterations of this program and probably, but it also just requires, I mean, it would require more volunteers probably. So, so I just think it'd be great to be able to include more people too. That's a fabulous piece of feedback and it's a great idea. So volunteering to help for it puts you in the awesome category in my book, because I'm constantly telling people that doing that kind of thing, not least when you're where you are, just kind of having gotten through some of those initial hurdles is often the very best time that you can help 
people because you remember all of those pain points so keenly and you remember why it's confusing and how it's confusing. And when you've been doing it for three years, a lot of that fades. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I understand completely. And I definitely hope they um, have another iteration of this program. So I just thought it was, mm-hmm. it was a great experience for me. And I, you know, really appreciate the rest like team members for taking the initiative to, you know, to even run this program. So I would like to help out next time. Yeah. So on those notes, what kinds of, what, what parts of the program worked well? What were the things that were highlights as it were? Um, yeah, I thought it was, it was, <laughs> let me think about this. Uh, so I think it's just the sense of community while I was learning um, mm-hmm. and to be able to like ask someone because I think that if it wasn't for this program, I might have given up at some point. This is hard, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's uh, there's all these great like users forums, and um, I'm not sure. I actually talked to someone at Rust Belt Rust that said that she was asking questions on Rust beginners, and Steve Klabnik was really helpful on there. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, but Rust beginners IRC, I might have looked at it briefly, but I actually wasn't even on that channel. So. There's a bunch of different places to look, but yeah, I just find that um, uh, there's just a lot of different places and I'm not sure if like there's one like central place for, you know, and even like on the users, yeah, the rust, users.rustlying.org. Um, I mm-hmm. think the like new Rust users can post on there, but I find it a bit intimidating because all the posts I read are kind of very <laughs> advanced and there's people seem like they know a lot of I almost I actually this is another suggestion I had um, kind of as a follow-up for the increasing risk they had like this survey at the end mm-hmm. but I just said oh well it'd be nice if there's like just a, a um, kind of a newbie channel there because IRC mm-hmm. they don't always archive right I don't know if first beginners archives but but it seems like if it's like a forum right there you know you can kind of scroll back and I don't know yeah. or even maybe even a separate um, forum just for beginners learning Rust. I'm not sure. Is there one? <laughs> I don't know every all the different. <laughs> there, there isn't to my knowledge. But that's a. I, I think a beginners.rustlang.org could be awesome because yeah, sometimes I poke in there and I've been doing Rust and this podcast for a couple of years now, and I look in there and sometimes I look at the questions that someone's asking. And I think <laughs> I only know about two thirds of those words, and I have no idea what the yeah. answer could possibly be to any of what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. So much less when you're just starting. Yeah, actually a beginners or, or new rest stations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would, would be, it would be great to have something like that for sure. So is it fair to summarize then that having the active mentoring was what helped you get through in spite of the fact that it's hard to know where to look? Yeah, the active mentoring and kind of just like kind of committing to the project you know for mm-hmm. a few months then like i persisted to look you know actually look into it and and held accountable you know to kind of continue mm-hmm. so but then it's kind of like yeah once i got over that i feel like there's this hump where like if, yeah if you don't get past it then you just can't you know, some people might just give up and move on to other things uh so now that i'm past that now i'm like oh i'm like really excited like i know some of the fundamentals i can contribute you know I'm, I'm like excited to go contribute to some of the easier it, issues on the open source projects, um, you know, things like that. So yeah, I definitely want to continue. And I also, it's kind of just persisting with it. Um, 
I've also like watched some talks and read some articles and it's gotten me interested to look more into other areas of Rust or how Rust can be used for different applications. So along those lines, are there things that you wish you could have gotten to during the project or things that you are particularly interested now that you've finished the project going forward? I'm still actually working out a bug <laughs> for this. <project. laughs> so yeah, so I'm like working on that. Uh, and I also want to get that done, obviously, because I I'm now committed to this five Cascades talk, so I want to have something to show. <laughs> uh, so that's good to like have something, you know, to work towards, I guess, to keep it going. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I want to look more at the Rust Python, kind of how those are bridged, and also like the concurrency, you know, running th multiple threads. Um, I haven't figured out what I might want to do with Rust. I guess I, I, I would continue seeing if I could actually start writing more translations for the Sense Hat, because right now there is a Sense Hat API and there's you know, other sensors. Um, there is uh, someone... Oh, I was going to write about this, but there, there is someone that had started writing uh, uh, some portion of the uh, Sense Hat API, like another work, you know, kind of interface for another sensor on the Sense Hat hmm. API. It looks pretty advanced. I was looking at his code. I didn't, you know, it's a lot of low level stuff, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So maybe kind of looking at that, uh, I can send you the link. That would be splendid. Yeah, I would love to include it in the show notes. Yeah, because when I was looking at what already existed for Rust and Raspberry Pi, um, that's when, and also the Sense Hut, I came across this guy's uh, repo. So, so I'll send that to you. But he only translated a, a small section or ported a small section, um, mm -hmm. and there's more. So maybe I'll, I'll look and see if there's other aspects that I can try to write something for. I think. So my last question was: Are you planning to keep using Rust now that you've finished it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think definitely, well, throughout this interview, I demonstrated that I want to keep mm -hmm. learning Rust and using it. Um, and there's just um, a few more. Now there's actually a few opened up a few different areas that um, I'd like to look into. So kind of on my list is um, contributing to Rust open source projects. There's a few like issues that I can help with and I can also learn in the process. And then also like looking at these Python Rust um bridges and also like maybe uh, working on translating some Python Python libraries to Rust um, and then maybe looking into like more of the concurrency aspect of it. Do you think there's any chance you'll get to do that mythical thing we all hope for and use Rust at work anytime in the future? Uh, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see. I'll see about that. I think I still have a lot to learn. Um, so sure. um, we'll just see where it goes. And um, yeah, and also like, you know, really helping to help with, I just so grateful to the Rust team with their outreach efforts. And I really want to help with that. They, I know that they're trying to expand their Rust bridge. Um, mm -hmm. as, and also, um, you know, maybe if there's a next iteration of increasing Rust reach. So um, I've been actually, sometimes I sit in on the Rust community meetings. Uh, mm -hmm. They have it on IRC, I think every Wednesday. So I'll just sit in and kind of see what they're up to. So, yeah, <laughs> but using it, or, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so. I definitely get that. No worries. Thank you so much for your time today. It has been a pleasure to chat with you and hear about your experience here. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate, appreciate taking the time to, you know, talk to a bunch of people in the rest community. <laughs> My pleasure.
Thanks so much, as always, to this month's sponsors. Aaron Turon, Alexander Payne, Anthony Deschamps, Chris Palmer, Christopher Gifford, Benam Isfabod, Dan Abrams, Daniel Cullen, David W. Allen, John Rudnick, Matt Rudder, Nathan Scully, Nick Stevens, Peter Tillemans, Olaf Leidinger, Lushei Sonaya, Ray Flavine, and Vesa Kailavirta. If you're enjoying the show, please let others know about it. Tell them in person, or tell them on social media, or write and review it in your favorite podcast directory. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also help by sending some financial support for the show my way at patreon.com slash neurastation, or via any of a number of other services I've listed on the show website, neurastation.com. Neurostation.com also has scripts and code samples for most of the teaching episodes, as well as transcripts for many of the interviews and full show notes for every episode. The show is on Twitter at Neurostation, or you can follow me there at Chris Kreitcho. Do tweet at me with news, with topic ideas, with potential interviewees, etc. You can also respond in the threads on the Rust user forums, Reddit, or Hacker News, or you can send me an email, and that is always my favorite. Until next time, happy coding. As you can see, even though I've done this a bunch, I still stumble all over myself. So no worries. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, I guess that's a good thing that it's not live. You can edit. <laughs> yes, exactly. I cannot. Uh, I know of podcasters who stream things live and I cannot imagine doing that.